0: Cynthia Hyatt.
1: Well, good afternoon. So good to have you with me today, and thank you for joining me. I hope your Sunday is going well and that we are setting you up for a really good, awesome week. So, if you're just tuning in, we are doing a whole entire series about the best year ever and how we can have the best year. And again, I always am reiterating that doesn't mean the best year in comparison to other years. It means that this year is going to be the best it can possibly be. With all the good things, all the bad things, neutral, hardship, stress, whatever is in this year, we're going to make sure that we are doing the best that we can and that we are helping this year be the best that it can be for us. So we talked about these six things that we're going to be working on throughout the year. And that is, number one, we are starting the year with a position of intention. That's different than resolutions. Because resolutions, you know, if we make those, you know, New Year's resolutions, it kind of feels like an all-or-nothing issue. That if we, you know, make that resolution and then we mess up, that somehow, what's the point? We, You know, we messed it up. Why, get, why keep on trying? I can't do it. Instead of recognizing that I have the intention of having... Really, this positive new behavior or new thought process or new way of doing something, or my willingness to forgive, and so I'm intentionally working on doing that. That may mean some days I do it, some days I don't, but what we're wanting to do is have the overall year be one that has an intention to it, and so that can be several different types of intentionalities. It can be just intentionally being positive this year. So really it's up to you and God and how you determine for you what you need to be intentional about. You know, first thing that comes to my mind, especially as Americans, we need to be a lot more intentional about how we take care of ourselves because we have a tendency to take care of ourselves so that we can look good versus actually caring for ourselves And so remember that God's depending on you to take care of the one that he loves. And that's not just the people in your life that he brings, but it's you. You're with yourself all the time to the end of the age, right? So until the last breath you take, you can't get away from you. So God is depending on you to care for who he cares about. So we're going to have some intentionality this year, and then we're going to bring the year to a close. We're going to keep it closed. And that doesn't mean that we don't you know, remember last year, that we don't have good memories, bad memories, whatever it is. But we're not kind of like driving our car looking through the rearview mirror the whole time. And we're not constantly comparing and contrasting in, in any kind of a negative manner. We're learning from last year, and we're intentionally bringing in things from last year that worked and leaving things that didn't work in last year. And so we're going to be really careful about lamenting, about beating ourselves up, about wishing we were still in last year because we hate this year already, whatever it is. We're going to say that it's over. God intentionally locked us in time so that things might be over and new beginnings would occur. So that's the third one that we're going to do. That's the create new beginnings for yourself. How do you create a new beginning? Very easily. The first two. I'm intentional about um, drinking more water. So, last year I did a terrible job. Well, I'm not going to think about last year. I'm going to think about this year. And I'm going to intentionally, right, drink more water. That's a new beginning that I'm creating for myself. So, if I don't drink any water yesterday, I have today to start over all again. And I'm going to create a new beginning for myself today. So I'm not going to let the enemy come in and tell me that because I've messed up and haven't done it to quit trying, right? We don't want that. What we say to the enemy is that's why 24 hours. I get a new 24 hours every morning I wake up to start over every day. Just as God says, you know, his mercies are new every morning. He starts every day new. So he wants us to do the same. That his mercies are new every morning. How great is his faithfulness to us. So you may abandon your day. You may not want to participate in the day. You may want to abandon yourself, not deal with you. But God's faithful to you in every moment of every day of your life. So that leads us to the next one. How do I continue to create new beginnings and maybe even walk in those new things so that the new things become my new normal. Well, I manage the internal and the external world. So I work on changing the things I can. I accept the things I can't and I make sure that I'm not trying to get the external world to make my internal world happy and that if I'm happy internally, that I don't let the external world steal from it. And so everywhere I go, there I am, right? So I want to make sure that I am living a healthy life inside of me. So think of your, your body, your, your heart, your mind as your internal home. And so I've many times thought to myself, wow, if anybody came and visited my internal home, they might want to leave. I'm a, I don't know. I might not be a very good host. And so this is where you want to say, you know, internally, I want to feel safe inside of me. I want that to be a safe place, a place that has forgiveness, that has mercy, that certainly is holding me accountable. Absolutely. That everywhere I go, I take that with me because that's what adults do. See, little kids don't have that fully developed internal world and teenagers have a very chaotic internal world. So they depend on adults to kind of stabilize them. Well, I want to integrate that into my life as an adult and recognize that I'm the adult that stabilizes me. That's my job. It's not anybody else's job, but mine. So then we really practice living in love. The better we manage our internal world, the better we are forgiving by creating new beginnings, the more we are not living in the past, and the more intentional we are, the better lovers we are. And we want to love God's people well. And we want to love Him well. And we want to copy the way He loves. We want the world to know His love, right? So we bring Him with us. We want to be a good representative of Him. So we want to live in love. And that was last week's show. So if you missed last week, Always remind yourself, you can go to the website. It's on my website at com. You also can go to all the different podcast servers. You can download them from there. You can send them to your friends. Use them as a small group practice. Whatever it is that you want to do. And thank you again so much for all the feedback that you've given. And the last one that we are doing is don't worry. So that's the last of the six things that we are going to do this year. And that is... Don't worry. No fear. No fear. And this is really important because not worrying really supports all the other five. And so when we think about not worrying, here's what I want you to realize. This is super, this is super powerful. Because we have to understand that worry and peace cannot coexist. So when we think about this, we have to ask ourselves, why am I worrying? If God doesn't worry, and he tells me to not worry, then what am I doing here? So we ask ourselves, why do I have no peace in my life? And Luke chapter 24, verse 36, it says, peace be with you. The word of the Lord, peace be with you. And he goes on to say in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. And those are big words because I I don't know about you, but I think this world is kind of scary. (laughs) And sometimes I think I can scare myself because I might not be being the person that I think I should be. So peace and worry, you have to understand, worry and peace can't coexist. They, they are kind of an enmity with one another. So we have lots of research about this, and this is fascinating, and if you've heard the show before, you might have heard me refer to this. And this is, you know, current neuroscientists have really discovered this really interesting phenomenon about the human brain. It really is like an on and off switch. Now, if you're really interested in this, there's a great book. It's called Words Can Change Your Brain, and it is phenomenal. So these, these neuroscientists go on to say that it can't focus, the brain cannot focus on a positive and a negative feeling at the same time. It's going to do one or the other. It's on or off. Now, this was a really pretty huge discovery. And as a result, they also discovered that the brain will always pick the negative before the positive as an unconscious survival mechanism. Now, wouldn't that make sense? It's going to want to go to where the pain is because it's trying to help you. So it will continuously follow the pain. And as a result, it will focus on the problem rather than on the solution As a way to change it and protect against the pain of the problem. Now, however it works, you know, in reverse is really what works. Because we know the infamous verse that's Proverbs 23, 7. It says, for as a man thinketh within, so he is. This quite simply means the more I worry about things, the more I worry about people, the more I worry about situations, the more anxious I become the more my mind finds to worry about. It takes it on as a job. It says, oh, Cynthia's worrying. Well, I'm going to find all the things for her to worry about. I'm going to help her worry more. So instead of focusing on what is, the brain begins to focus on what if. And if the brain is prone toward negativity, the what if is always catastrophizing right? It's not what if this all works out and we're all going to be happy. It's what if they don't show up? What if they don't like me? What if I mess up? What if I don't have enough money? Right? All these different what ifs that we get caught in. And so Matthew chapter 6, 25 and 34, this is in relation to worry and anxiety. And we're going to talk about the what is of this passage. And what God does and will do about the what ifs. And this is really important. So, I want you make sure that you hang on. Come back with me in the next segment. I'm Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for being a part of this show.
0: I hear the whispers in my throat.
1: Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you're just tuning in, we are doing the last part of a series of having the best year ever. And the last thing we are talking about as to how to support having the best year that 2020 can possibly be is to not worry. To not be afraid. And this is tough, because what we what we were talking about in the last segment is how the brain is hardwired to worry, and the more you worry, the more the brain wants to help you, and it will come up with more things to worry about. so we have to conscientiously and consciously resist where the brain is going because the brain isn 't thinking about what it might do. In, in terms of an, an existential manner, it's not having the ideas and the thoughts of God. We have to help the brain have the mind of Christ. So Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read this entire chapter just to give you some context. And this is chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And it's in relation to worrying and anxiety. And it is the what is in this passage is all that God does and will do versus our what if. Okay, so what if becomes the striving and the worrying about tomorrow. And God wants us to know what is his plan? What is his heart? What is his way? So it starts out by saying, you know, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to life than the food you put in your stomach more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless, careless in the care of God. And you count more to him than the birds. It goes on to say, has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside of them. So if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which we've never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Don't you think he'll take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting. So that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works. Fuss over these things. But you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. In God initiative. In God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns Will be met, and it ends in this chapter in verse thirty-four. It says, "Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when times come." So, I want to give you like just a very concrete example because we have a little kitty. Well, she's a cat now, but she's hilarious, and she's the quietest animal I've ever, I've ever, ever owned. She's very sweet. So this is what I want you to think about. When I fed our cat last night, now you have to understand we ran out of food. So my husband ran to the grocery store for me and bought some cat food because I kept forgetting to pick up the cat food. Now, I still had some, but last night, out completely. Do you think the cat knew that? Would she have even assumed that I ran out of cat food? No, we made sure that she had cat food. This is a cat. We made sure she had dinner. Michael ran to the store for me because I forgot again when I was at the store. I give this kitty what she needs. She does nothing to get it. She just accepts being cared for. She sometimes yells for it. She sometimes walks away. She's sometimes not even a good cat. But I care about her. We care about this cat. This cat is in our care. We have taken responsibility for this little creature. And so this cat belongs to us. And this gave me this aha moment when I went through the motions of feeding the little kitty. I thought, if I will go to lengths like this, my husband, who's not even necessarily a cat lover, although I have to tell you, he does kind of like this little kitty. She is pretty sweet. If he will get back in the car, go to the grocery store, buy this little kitty some cat food because we don't want her to think and go to bed hungry, right? How much would God be taking care of me if I care enough about a kitty, right? She doesn't even know that we run out. She just knows every morning and every night she will be fed and she just counts on it doesn't worry about it, doesn't stress all day during the day, hoping that we make enough money to be able to buy cat food. She trusts and assumes the best of us, that she belongs to us and we love her. So worry can't add a single day to your life. In fact, it can steal days from your life and it does adversely affect you physically. So I want you to listen to this. This is from a, 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 me, a medical doctor. He says, worry is the sand in the machinery of life. As we are conquering the physical side of disease, we are losing the battle on the mental and spiritual side. We know almost everything about life and how, how, how to live it. And, and, and a comrade of his says, when I find purely physical cause of disease, I begin to feel like a doctor again. The British Medical Association claims that 60 to 80% of physical problems are rooted in our thinking. And according to a famous heart specialist, it's not just so much our arteries that are the problem as our attitudes. The effect of worry on the body is well known to all who are involved in treating physical problems and emotional problems, lifestyle issues, the issue of contentedness. Clearly, worry takes its toll on our physical system. So no organ is immune to worry. So you'd better stop worrying before your health and effectiveness as a Christian is weakened. And this this little piece was written by a man named Selwyn Hughes, and I, I love it. It's from a book that uh, when I was in Africa, one of the people that uh, I was ministering to at the church handed me this book. It's called Every Day with Jesus by Selwyn Hughes. And I loved that, that here I was... In a third world country, and this young man is reading about the effects of worry. Now, I'm telling you, they have a lot more to worry about than I do. And that was really telling to me. So I'm saying this isn't easy. We need to take captive all of our thoughts and use what we clinicians and practitioners of the mind, what we call the positivity ratio. It's It's not just positive thinking. It's that our brains absolutely compound thoughts and compress them. They expand, they contract. Positive expand, negative contracts. So this is really important when you are thinking about this year. Are you going to be disciplined in your mind? Are you going to take advantage of this beautiful organ called the brain that God has given you? The brilliance of that mind. And are you going to let it be used for you and take advantage of it the way that God intended, taking captive all those thoughts, being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Or are you going to let the seeds of despair and worry contaminate every beautiful thing that God is planting and wanting to harvest in your life? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. We have two more segments to go on this idea of worry and peace cannot exist. Well, welcome back. We are at the half hour of the show. So if you're just tuning in, we are ending this entire series of having the best year ever. And we talked about these six things that we were going to be doing in order to have that made possible. And so the last one that we are are actually finishing this whole entire series on is today is do not worry. And that that needs to really be the edict of this year, that we do not worry. We don't despair. And so we talked about this idea of what thoughts do to your brain and how words can change your brain. And it's a great book, Words Can Change Your Brain. I think you would really enjoy it. And it really talks about the newest, um, really the newest ideas that we have, the newest research that we have that is proving the way the brain actually works because we have a tendency to think that the the brain has its own kind of personality when actually personality and mind live in the brain. I mean, that's really oversimplified. But I want you to think about the fact that similar to your computer, your computer has what we would call a brain, but we're the ones that tell it what to do. Now, it learns us, right? And it begins to help us. But sometimes it helps us too much, doesn't it? Because it doesn't have a moral code. Your brain, your computer has no moral code other than what you decide to exercise. So it learns the way you do things and it begins to make it more efficient. So that means the more you worry, the more things it's going to give you to worry about and the more proficient you will become at finding things to worry about and spending your mental energy on that which what we know now with current research is how hard that is on the brain. Negativity, worry, upset is very tough on the brain. Positivity rewires it. Positivity opens up all kinds of new neural pathways. Positivity then transfers from the mind in your your brain down into your body. And so this is why we don't want to lie to ourselves. We're not going to have fake positive thoughts. The brain is smarter than that. But we are going to redirect. So this is not easy. We need to take captive all our thoughts and use what I just said. We clinicians, practitioners, what we call the positivity ratio. It's more than just positive thinking. We must maintain the highest level of positivity in order to counteract the effects of negativity on our bodies, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our relationships. And so that doesn't mean, again, false positivity. You're you're smart enough to know when we're lying to ourselves, right? So what we're saying is we're going to find a positive here. So if the positive is that I simply know that I have Jesus and he cares for me deeply and understands my plight, even if I don't see a way out, I can trust that he has a way out. That in and of itself is a positive thought. I'm not trying to to lie my way into happiness. I'm saying that I can be hopeful, thankful. I can be praising things. I can relax. And I can trust. And so when we are counteracting these negative effects, I want you to understand that We found that by taking a picture of your brain with an MRI scanner, that the neuro changes in your brain happen within one second of thinking a negative thought. Less than a second. That's how quick the superhighways of your brain are, the neural pathways. And the more you've done it, the more efficient they are. They're like a Lamborghini. Those negative thoughts are like a Ferrari in your brain, not a go-kart. And so we can see it in an MRI. We can watch what negativity does in the brain and how quickly it moves and changes the structure. Because what happens is the amygdala releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, and the brain chemicals immediately interrupt normal functioning of the brain, especially those that are involved in logic, reasoning, and problem-solving. This is why when you start to panic and get stressed out, you can't make a decision to save your life. You, you don't know what you want to do. You can't figure it out. Then you get more stressed. You get more anxious. You start to catastrophize. This is why. Because you get a wash of stress hormones all through your brain that take away any creativity and any positivity. So your options get, get less and the whole way of thinking gets smaller. Your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller with negativity. So I want you to really hang in there with me. We're going to finish this one out in the next segment. This is Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad that you have joined me today. Make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. Dot com. You can listen to the, the shows right there on your computer. You can download them. You can also go to your favorite podcast server. We're on all of those. So join me in the next segment as we finish this idea that worry and peace cannot coexist. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining in today. And we are finishing up this series on the best year ever. And we have been talking each week on a different part of how to have the best year ever. And we started with the position of intention. Then we talked about bringing the year to a close and keeping it closed. We're not going to be, you know, as if we're driving forward in our car looking in the rearview mirror the whole entire time. So, we're creating new beginnings for ourselves. That has a lot to do with forgiveness. A lot to do with forgiveness. And really letting God create new beginnings, new mercies every morning. We're starting new every day. And we're going to manage our internal and external world as best as we can. And we can certainly manage the internal world more than we can the external, but you and I both know I'd rather change the outside world to make me feel good inside. Then really work on my inside world so that I manage the outside world better. And then we're going to practice living in love and what that really means. And we know that love covers a multitude of sins. And love never fails. Never fails. So that brings us to the last one, which is don't worry. And this is a big part of the ministry of Christ. That he came to say, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives but it's a peace that passes all understanding. And it's the peace of Christ. And so we're working on this idea of what worry does to your brain and then subsequently to your body and to understand that worry and peace cannot coexist. So we left this last segment off with this idea that when they, when they do MRIs, they can see the neural, change, neural changes in your brain and it happens within less than one second of, uh, of thinking a negative thought. I mean, a second is barely measurable. It's so fast, the way your brain works with a negative thought, because it gets afraid. It starts to have fear. And that speeds everything up. So if you've ever noticed, when you get stressed, upset, uptight, worrisome, afraid, it's really hard to make good decisions because this is what happens. These, these chemicals that get released, these are dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters that are released. And it interrupts the normal functioning of the brain, especially the functions of logic, reason, and problem solving. So if you've listened to shows when I've talked about the way the brain works, and we know that the left side right, is that's that emotional, creative part of us. It's where the amygdala is. That's the fight, flight, or freeze. And, and the, the right side of our brain, I'm sorry, the other way around, the left side of our brain is logic, and the right side is all of that, all the feelings, all the worries, all the fears, all the survival. And so the left side of our brain, which comes on later, right around the age of 6 to 12, is that's where logic and reason is. So as soon as you start to worry, as soon as you get stressed out, you are locked on the right side of your brain. You have no more logic anymore, no more ability to reason or to problem solve. It then You are then in survival mode, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And that means no matter how ugly it is, I'm going to come out of it alive. So we have a tendency, without knowing it, how much we scare ourselves I mean, I don't know about you. I I really don't like to be scared. I don't like it when people scare me. I don't like going to scary movies. You know, but I can scare myself simply by the way I think. And the more you stay focused on the negative words or thoughts, the more you actually damage key structures that regulate memory, feelings, and emotions. And it can disrupt your sleep, your appetite, and it also disrupts the way your brain regulates happiness, longevity, and health. Because as soon as you're in survival, the brain is no longer thinking about living to 80. It's thinking about living through the next minute. So everything is changed. So I tell you this to show you, to show you why God so adamantly says to us, do not worry. See, he really knows what he's talking about. It really harms us and lowers our effectiveness. The science of the mind is now catching up with the Bible, and it's proving what God has been telling us all along. This means we don't even have to have faith to believe the truth about what God is saying, because we have now concrete evidence to show us that God is saying, do not worry. This is not good for you. It will not help you. So why do we have no peace? See, we want peace, right? Why don't we have it in our homes, in our world, in ourself, in our relationships? Even possibly, we, we are not at peace with God. So I want you to ask yourself, are you at peace right now? Where are you at peace? Who are you at peace with? See, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he is to give us peace. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How do countries stay at peace? Well, they stay committed to keeping peace and they practice it. How do we stay in peace and at peace within ourselves and our relationships? We need to be committed to it. We need to practice it. So let's look at this. What gets in the way of peace? Well, there's two places. Well, first of all, holding on or having a spirit of fear. So worry, carrying my own burdens, negative thinking, having a lack of trust. This holding on to things and rehashing things, telling myself all the ways it's not going to work. That's me on my own. That's me carrying my own burdens. And that's me trusting negative thinking and having a lack of trust. In the world, in myself, in others, in God. Now, that does not mean I trust others and the world implicitly. It doesn't mean I trust myself implicitly. I do trust God implicitly. Even when I question, I redirect myself and say, wait a minute, how can I be questioning God? How can I think that after all he's gone through and after all he has said, that he actually would not be on my side? He's not in agreement with everything I do, but he's always got my back. And that makes it easier to resist worrying, especially if I think I've messed something up. I don't like feeling like, oh, shoot, I messed it up. I should have done this. I should have done that. Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I remember that? And I can go down the whole entire list until I can say, wait a minute, this is not helping me. No matter how true it is, it's not helping me. I need to trust that God already knew I was going to drop the ball. He's already made provision for all of my mistakes. And he's made provision for all of my successes. And he's going to be with me while I walk through it. And he's already gone before me before I ever got to it. That's amazing. So then we have the second camp. The first camp is lack of trust, holding on, right? The second camp is being at war with the world or others and self, right? And see, if I have this spirit of fear, that's going on all inside of me. And then outside of me, what happens? I begin to go to war. I'm afraid. And so I want it my way. I start resisting God's will. I'm making opinions more important than relationship. And we really see that happening in our world right now. A refusal to forgive and judgment. Either thinking I'm better than others or thinking I'm worse than others, or taking someone's inventory. Or thinking as I see them act or the way they dress that I somehow know everything about them and now I've made an opinion about them that I believe is true. And I don't even have the information I need, right? I don't even know the person. What if I'm judging people I do know? Well, do I know them as God does? No. And God knows them completely, good, bad, and indifferent, and he still loves them. So I need to stop being at war with the world, And so when I hold on to fear, when I practice worrying and I'm carrying my own burdens and I'm having all that negative thinking and I'm not trusting anything, then I really go to war outside of me. See, that's the inside. And then the outside is I begin to think I have to only trust myself. I have to make a way for myself. And I think I know better than God. And I start resisting God's will. And I make opinions, much more important than relationship. I want to be right. Now, granted, I want to be understood, too. I like my opinions to be (laughs) respected. But for heaven's sakes, I have also come to change my (laughs) opinions. The older that I've gotten, the more I've gone, you know what? That was really dumb when I said that back in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s or when I was a kid. And I have to remind myself that opinions can change. And this opinions are fluid. They're not necessarily always factual. So I need to make sure that I'm not refusing to forgive. Nobody really deserves forgiveness, right? I don't deserve forgiveness. I'm not perfect. And so I'm thankful that God is always willing to forgive. He says, come let us reason together. I'm going to make it like as if it didn't happen. I'm going to let you learn from it. And I'm going to be with you while we put it back together. And I'm going to give you time that eventually you'll be farther and farther away from that hurt or that mistake. And so we also have to refuse judgment. We can be so judgmental. Just driving down the road, we can look at a person's car and the way they drive and think, think a complete judgment about them. And said we have no idea even who they are or what their life is about. So both, the holding on, And then the being at war with the world and others. Both of these have the same effect on our brain and our souls. And they both get in the way of living at peace. Both of those behaviors come from worrying and strife. And so again, remind yourself, worry and peace cannot coexist. That doesn't mean that I just blithely go through life without a care in the world. I'm not naive. I can practice being concerned, but when I cross over into worrying, that's a different issue. So remind yourself of the verse John 16:33. It says, "I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace. I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace." John 16:33. He goes on to say, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart." I have overcome the world. And Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want you to understand. This is how I found peace. See, I used to want to insist on understanding. That's Cynthia's way to peace versus depending on God and trusting in Jesus. See, when I do that, I enter into worry. And I start trusting my own understanding. And I start depending on myself for things that I cannot do or have no control over or have even adequate knowledge about. And this quickly spirals into worry and fret. It's unhealthy for both my body and my mind. And very destructive to my relationships with God and others and even myself. So if we're not careful, we'll begin to look for peace in everything and anything else other than God. So working on your internal world says, I need to have peace with God. And God gives me peace. Even when I don't feel peaceful, he says, I am peace. I am peace. So think about that. Let go of the if-onlys. Let go of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Let go of having to understand everything. And focus all of that energy on God. And on true peace and the one who is peace. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'll talk to you soon. Looking forward to next week as we begin a whole new series. Have a great week.
0: To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, Please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version.